0: In the middle of our, directly in the middle of our trust series, and we started this two weeks ago. We launched it by looking at what on the what in the world is trust. It's you know there's these banks that are called trust, there are investments that are called trust. You know we have relationships and need trust. What what is this? What is trust? And so we, we defined it back in, in week one and looked at it. And that's, it's putting our whole weight, our whole trust, our whole reliance on God. And then we understood where we are in the scope of life back in week one that, <clears throat> that while we're breathing oxygen, that Deuteronomy 30.19 is so true that God has set before us life and death, blessing and cursing. And he wants us to choose life. So we're looking at some key areas where we need to trust God and seeing what God has to say about that so we can choose the life in that area. So we can really trust God. Because remember, I love the way Romans 1.17 reads in the, uh, in the message translation. And we understand it in the King James is that the just shall live by faith. But I love it in the message. And it says, by trusting God, we truly live. See, when we're not trusting God, we are cheating ourselves in whatever area we're withholding. And I'm telling you, life really, really opens up. Well, this week, we're looking at trusting God with our family. These issues that are near and dear to us. Last week was the future. This week is our family. If you open up your notes, we've had this, this core message that we're just kind of pounding out here. It says, our mission, this is Celebration Church's mission if you you look on our website you look on different things you will see this this our mission is to help people to know god better and to trust him more why because that's where life is truly lived jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly and when we trust him we really live see now trust or faith it is the central ingredient in living the new life that we have in christ now in this area of family we have to really get it down deep on our minds that this isn't something that just kind of evolved or came out socially this is something god created from the very beginning the concept of family is god's idea and so we can trust him with those who are nearest and dearest to us let's go ahead and look at genesis chapter 2 there in verse 18 and 22 It says, the the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, that little piece of understanding, you know, guys, we we know it's not good for us to be alone. Let's just have our wives go away for a week and have them come back and see what the house looks like. And it's just right there. It's not good for us to be alone. It's just not. Now, there is a flip side of that truth that... uh, that it's not good for, for us, not, and it's not just man, that's humanity. Just picking on us men for a minute. But it's not good for humanity to be alone. Well, the problem with us not being alone is the fact we've got to be around people. <laughs> and guess what? Most of our wounds, our hurts, our frustrations, all these things, they come from people. So it's not good for us to be alone, but we've got to be around people. And the immediate people God gives us are our family. That's where we learn and to, to deal with these trust issues with people who are frail and human and make mistakes all the time. And so we have to understand that it's God's idea. He's the one that did this. See, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now I want to make one little comment right now. Now, of course, God back in creation said it's not good for man to be alone and then immediately begins to, to fix the problem. Adam was the only human at that point. And God recognizes this in his creation. It's not good for man to be alone and begins to fix it. There is this motion, especially in our society, for us to begin to be more and more alone. There is this thing. I, you know, I, I don't condemn technology. I, you, I utilize it. My children have TVs in their rooms and all this kind of stuff. But we have to be aware of this truth that may God step in and be creative one more time and create woman so that man would not be alone. Because if not, we will gravitate back to aloneness. I'll tell you what, my wife chewed me out the other day. We were spending some time together. Spending some time together. We were doing this thing called shopping which is just mind-numbing. I mean, it's just painful. It's just painful. Well, as I'm walking around the mall, spending time with my wife and my children, well, I reach into my pocket and I grab my iPhone and I want to check the football scores. So I get on there and I'm walking in the mall and I you know, pull up the little app and I, I start checking the football scores and my wife said, well, why don't you just go home? Because you're not really with me anyways. And I'm like... You're right. Here I am with this concept of spending time. But I immediately take this device and went right back into this little place of aloneness. You know, I listen to audiobooks all the time when I'm doing things, but I have to be real careful. Or you know what I'll do? I'll be in the middle of a project and I'll go to Lowe's and I'll have my audio book in. And boy, I've got good teaching and all this stuff. And I just blow past people. I'm all alone. In this store, I'm all alone in my own little place. And we have to remember, it is not a good place for us to stay in a place of aloneness. We have to fight that. Our society There's this movement for us to be able to, they call it cocooning, where we have our own little environment. And we have to fight that because it is not a healthy place for us. So God makes a helper suitable for him. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought to her... The man. Now, I'm not going to tell you the joke about Adam said, well, what can I get for a rib? So not going to tell you that joke. <laughs> um, but Psalms 127.3 says, sons are a heritage from the Lord, children a reward from him. We have to remember this is something God loves. God is so into family. His whole purpose of having his only son come to us is so he could expand his family. God is into family. Family is a huge deal. It is your family is a bigger deal to God than they ever can be to you. So that's why we can come and we can trust God in this area. And see, we see in Luke one seventeen says, and He will. And he will go on before the Lord this is talking about um, John the Baptist in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord for us to really embrace what God is doing we have to be ready to be relational for you to really you better get that in there for you to really be ready to grow up in God, you had better be ready to be relational. You better be ready for God to add people into your life and you to have relationships that become priority in your life. Because when God is making people a re- ready for Him, He is turning hearts. He is fixing these issues inside a family. And that was just, Luke echoed what was prophesied in Malachi chapter 4. It says, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. This family thing is important in the heart of God. Now, as we understand this, okay? as we understand this now when we're planting the church we had we understood the the truth that's right now that there are people who totally live for their kids and so uh, we we had we had to keep that in at that in mind i mean we all have children the those who are on the board making decisions and we understand how much of a big deal this is but we have to keep this truth what i'm about to lay out here totally understood it says to truly trust god in anything he must come first See, Matthew 6, says, but seek first the kingdom, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Okay? We can't let our family members that we care about determine where God's going to fall in the priority of our lives. Okay? If we really want to see them impacted, we've got to keep God in the... If we want to see them put God in the right place in their life, we've got to keep God in the right place in our own lives. Okay? And it's so easy in our culture to begin to worship our family and to believe for, live for our family. And see, we have the family is a wonderful thing; it's a blessing. That is the foundation of what we're talking about here. But we have to keep God as the priority. I had a, heard an incredible illustration about this years ago. There was this parking lot here in town. Michael Ramirez was up there preaching and, and talking and and i was talking about this parking lot here in town and it had three sets of the lines painted on it the the first you know they had the parking lines and uh so the first set was all kind of going one direction and the other set kind of had kind of faded a little bit somebody painted some new ones and it was kind of going another direction and the third one was kind of going yet another direction and you drive in and the parking lot's totally empty well you're it's just you're just full of choices Now, remember, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. You choose. There are choices. And so you don't quite know where to park. But as soon as that first car chooses a line, it sets the precedence for everything else. This is what we're going by, okay? This is the standard. And now we're going here. I had to park all crazy at HEB this week. Why? Because the two vehicles parked crazy in the parking spot. And so it was perfectly open, but I was hanging off the yellow lines on both sides. Why? Because I followed suit of that that went first. Our lives, we have to choose what comes first in our lives. And if we really want to see the impact in our families and those that we care about, then we set the standard by making that choice that God comes first in our lives. And then other things will begin to fall in line. Okay, if I'm going to, to, to fellowship with Joey, well, Joey has chosen God first. And that means I've got to come in here. If I'm going to come in here and not have God first, we're going to be at odds with each other. But he's chosen for God first. So now I come in here and it sets the standard over and over and over again. See Luke 9, 59 through 62. We have this issue come up where this guy wants to follow Jesus but he's got this. He's got family. He's got to deal with. How, how do I deal with this? And he said. And he said to another man, "Follow me." But the man replied, "Lord, first let me go and bury my father." Now this sounds really callous if you think the man just died, but that's not what he's talking about here. Okay, the man had not just died. What this son is saying is, I'm going to stay around and I'm going to hang out until my father dies. I will. Do my sonly duties, and then I will follow you. But I've got, to, I've got to take care of this first. And Jesus said to him, it made it just sound so harsh. Like, Jesus, what are you doing here? And he said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family i got to, I, my, my family's so important, I, I've got to do this. And he said, no one who puts hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So here's this God who created family, who says children are a heritage from him, but then says, uh, you know what, you, if you're going to follow me, you've got to let the dead bury their own dead. If you're going to put your family first, you're not fit for the kingdom. Well, it's not because family's not important. It's because it can't come first. God has to come first. Then others. Remember the old joy thing Jesus others you? Family falls in that others category. They do. And then Luke twelve fifty one through fifty three says, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? I tell you <coughs> no, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against the other, three against two, and two against three, and they will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And there's just like, ah, this just sounds horrible. What is going on here? Now, again, you have to understand what's happening here. Is it's it's the, the division, and we're going to get to it in just a minute, the dividing point, the problem is when it comes to where, who Jesus is. That Jesus, that is this thing. When you begin to put him in first, then okay, if somebody's at odds there, they're, at, they're not, it's not going to fit anymore. They're going to feel it, all of a sudden it's like, okay, my life is going perpendicular. You put God first, now all of a sudden there's problems here. I'm at division, won't you come along and just kind of, you know not, don't be such a zealous about, zealot about this Jesus thing. And let's just kind of make this easier. No, it's whenever we, Jesus himself is going to be the one that creates the division. And we're going to see other things that, boy, if, if at all possible, we work to live at peace with everybody. But we don't compromise on Christ. We keep him first in our lives. And that is absolutely, absolutely vital. I got to sit down with a man, I've shared this story with you all before a while back, but um, for two hours met a man named Rabbi Marty. He pastors one of the biggest messianic Jewish congregations in the U.S., running a little over a 1,000 people now who were Jews who had embraced their Messiah. It's a beautiful thing, the way they worship. It's just incredible. If you're ever in Dallas and, uh, for a Saturday morning for for the, uh, the Shabbat, the Sabbath service, I suggest you go. It's, it's incredible. But <clears throat> I got to sit down with this man. And, of course, he was Jewish. And he was raised Jewish. And when he embraced Yeshua, that's what that's his Hebrew name. That's Jesus' Hebrew name. When they embraced Yeshua as, his, as Messiah, well, I tell you what, his mother went absolutely ballistic there's this prayer that the jewish people pray called kaddish for the dead and they begin to pray for the dead and so his mother because he had chosen jesus as his messiah she reckoned him dead to herself and she was going to pray kaddish over him and saying and at that point she treats him as if he's not on the planet this is her own son and her response to him when he began to share the joy of of discovering who messiah was and what messiah had done she said you have gone to hitler's side now so you have to understand that she was a, a holocaust survivor both of his parents spent time in the concentration camps her mother, his mother came out more devout as a Jew. And his father came out totally atheist. His father ran into his rabbi and said, Rabbi, what is God doing? And the rabbi told him, there is no God. If there was a God, this wouldn't be happening to us. So, all right, I'm done here. And this this unbelieving father of his began to convince the mother, no, 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 let's, let's, not, let's not pray Kaddish over him. You know, let's... Maybe he's going through a phase, maybe there's something, and began to wait. And it immediately began to bring division. I'll finish the story in a minute, but there was division because of Jesus, okay? Now, as we understand this dynamic, okay, family's blessed, okay? God loves family, he's pro-family, he's all about family, but we've got to keep God first in this. Well, now we're going to roll down and we're going to quickly hit on some hardcore trust issues when it comes to uh uh trust god with our family okay and the first one is and this honestly this these come from y'all y'all we have on those little cards we have place for prayer requests and i'm so sorry i forgot to mention it a minute ago We have a place for prayer requests and these are the top issues of family that i get requests for for prayer this is stuff that's happening right here in our in our congregation in our church and the first one is parenting issues for children living at home. Where people are like, you know, I want to be a better parent, or I need this person, this kid to be a better kid, or whatever it is on the, the spectrum. You've, you've got some sort of, of dynamic happening at home, and there are these these parents who are needing guidance and have, saying, God, I need help with these kids. I'm still in the middle of raising. Well, Proverbs... Twenty two six is a beautiful passage, and it says, "Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it." Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is one of the truths that we are so embrace here at Celebration Church. Now, this is this is a command for the parents. This isn't a command for the pastors or the church leaders. This is a command for the parents, okay? Now, here at Celebration Church, I want you to understand why we do what we do. If you'll notice in your book, just go ahead and look at your notes, and there at the bottom, you're going to notice that there are some questions for your kids. If you don't have any children that ride home with you, this didn't pertain to you. But for those who do have questions, well, guess what? We work real hard here to make sure that we have opportunities for these spiritual God conversations with our children. Because there is a horrible thing happening. It was mentioned again yesterday when we were at the Flag Football, which is a wonderful organization. And one of the speakers there, they do little devotionals at halftime, mentioned the statistic. I had always heard 9%. He mentioned 8%. However you look at it, it's horrible. But that right now, those that are raised in church, only 8 nine percent of those raised in church are involved in church after they graduate 90 plus percent are abandoning their faith we are failing horribly with making disciples right under our own noses we're failing horribly okay and one of the reasons for that is i discovered back whenever I was a youth pastor, and, you know, and that was my job was just to just pour in to teens and just pour into them. And, you know, and I'd see a teen that, that was you know, involved in the youth group and real excited for God, and then they would do this. They would graduate and they would be boneheads. And you're like, what? Are you serious? I thought you were going to you know, change the world. What are, you, what are you doing? And then I was a youth pastor long enough I did it for eight and a half years. I tell for long enough to see this pattern. And then there would be these kids who would just they would just get it done. They just had their head on straight. They kept their hearts right. Not that they didn't have their little stumble or whatnot here and there. We're all human. But man, that they're just right now in ministry today, living for God. You know? And uh, you know, for you know, that's part of my labor and I initially kind of wanted to go Good job, Brandon for he was a good youth pastor. There were some. And then You know, and then I began to see a pattern. Wait a second. All of these kids had rocking parents. All these kids had parents who they lived it at home. Brandon, this had nothing to do with you. These kids were going to live for God anyways. Why? Because their parents lived for God at home. And it was modeled for them at home. I got to play an auxiliary role. And I'll get Facebooked, and, I'll, and I and I'll love it, you know, that they say, hey, you know, you were such a wonderful influence in my life back in those years. You know, I'm, I'm married. My, my, we're involved in this church, and we're doing that. And I was like, oh, I thank you. I, I'm glad to hear that. And I immediately go, but you know who you need to thank? You need to thank your mama and your daddy. Because you may be giving the credit to me right now, but it was your mama and daddy taking you to church reading the bible at home in front of you spending the time with god on their own those were the influences that have you where you are today i played a teeny weeny role you need to contact your mom and daddy because they're the ones that did it folks the mentoring is on us okay That's why over there, we've got it geared for them. We have it geared. They're having a great time and they're learning. But you know what? They're learning the same thing we're learning right in here right now. Why? Because they've got to learn to trust God too. And you know where they learn to trust God? By watching you trust God. You know where they learn that the scriptures are important? By you making the scriptures important. All of these different things, that's what changes lives. Now, I'm not trying to place a heavy burden on you, but you've got to be just aware you know, where now, my parents would be the first ones to shout and say that they, they just think it's a miracle That all three of their kids love god to this day They're like we were they think they were the worst parents on the face of the planet, but I know I know what I saw I know what I witnessed. I know the prayers that were prayed. I know the priorities that were in our home and they didn't do it perfect That's why grace is so wonderful it's, We don't have to do it perfect It just has to be sincere And that's what the kids catch, that it really is sincere, that it really is a part of who we are as a people. And so these parenting, we train up a child in the way it should go. And when they get old, they will not depart from it. (coughs) Spend some time, ask those those kids the questions. If you don't have kids, I'd dare you to grab a kid in the hall and say, hey, random child, (laughs) I've got a question for you. And see if they know the answer. I'm telling you, we all can play a role in helping reinforce. This is important. This isn't a kid thing. This is a life adult thing. This is a live for God thing. Psalm 78 says, We will will not hide them from their children, but we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. He has decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. See, it's not that one church would tell and there would be another church and there would be another church. It's family to family to family. It's passing this on to our children. And they would put their trust in God and would not be part of the 90% that forget his deeds but keep his commandments. Now, I scoff to some degree at this 9% thing because they're looking and they're not factoring Proverbs 22 in. You know what? There may be a season where they are turning away from God this truth says when they, were, when they are old, they will not turn from it. Now I want to get back over here. Well, I'll get there in just a second. Well, that's when they're old, they won't turn from it. Now let's get into the next one. Salvation and life choices of family not living at home. See, we've got to understand this. That the Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with us. Not wanting anyone to perish, but to all to come to repentance. God doesn't want any of us to perish. He loves your family. He loves your extended family. He loves your parents and your aunts and your uncles and your nieces and nephews. And, and when you cry out to God for him, God is saying, yes, thank you for agreeing with me. I want him too. That's what he is. That's what he is about. And see, Rabbi Marty, who I talked a little bit, his family immediately shunned him. But he knew it was the truth and he began to cry out for his family. And over the years, slowly but surely, his mother began to have conversation with him. And over the decades, finally, before his mother passed away, her eyes were opened and she saw that Yeshua was her Messiah. And she embraced Yeshua on her own. And when she passed away, she stepped into the arms of the Messiah that her and her people had looked for for all of these years. His agnostic daddy, decades later, came to Christ. All of his siblings but one. And he is still praying for that one sister who is still just staying solid that, it, that Jesus is just wrong. And, but he is not giving up. You know, sometimes we think God is slow. God, you are moving too stinking slow. Especially in the area with our family. Like, God, I prayed for them. Hello? Did you not hear me? I prayed all week. And they're still bothering me and they're still not serving you. Come on, God. Now, see, he was patient with you. He gave you time to come and your time. He's giving them time. Don't give up. Don't give up. See, God's about rescuing families. Our, our type and shadow there of Christ's coming was the ark. And see, the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found in you a righteousness in this generation. There's some other passages of Scripture, but we're going to jump down to the other family trust issue. is family restoration and forgiveness we get a lot, there's a lot of folks just needing that. And there are miracles of it. I love hearing testimony of people with their, with their children who've been estranged from them, of they've been praying and finally they get that call. Hey, I want to have lunch. Hey, let's meet at this city and let's reconnect. Man, God is doing a turning the hearts of the children to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers to the children. God is doing it. But we have to understand these truths. See, Matthew 5 says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. I love it that he uses family language. He's going to say, some guy, your brother. Your brother, and he's not just meaning your, your blood brother. He's meaning some, another person. Your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Here we think that that our gift that we've got to offer God is just so important. And he's like, oh, I want want to see this family reconciled more. I want to see this relationship reconciled even more than what you think you can bring to me. I want to do that miracle in your life. I love it. Now let's also look at Matthew 18. So the first one, Matthew 5, was if your brother has something against you. Now we look at Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you. Now you've got something against your brother. Go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. So, here we are. You figure out that somebody has a problem with you. You need to go and fix it. Then you realize, oh, I've got a problem with somebody. I need to go and fix it. Whose responsibility is it always to go deal with it? it. You. Always. Always. It is always your responsibility. Always, we don't get to say, well, they started it, so I'm not doing anything till they come and apologize to me. That is so unbiblical. What are you doing? Stop that mess. Ditch your pride. Pray for them. Hear the Holy Spirit. Do it in the Holy Spirit's timing. And go get that fixed. God wants it done. Either way, it's our responsibility. See, Matthew 18 further on says, Then Peter, he'd heard this, he just heard this teaching. And then Peter came to Jesus and asked, "Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Please give me some sort of limit." <laughs> Up to seven, seven. Ah, that's hard, but maybe I can do it. And Jesus just shuts him down. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, or in the other translations, seven times 70. And then you look at this, it's for the same offense. They did the same thing over and over again. We think that, okay, I, frig- I already, we already talked about this. I thought we got this fixed, and you did the same thing again. Now I'm done with you. Boop. We don't have that right. Nope, we go back. All right, we get to have this conversation again. We get to do this again, okay? We're going to get this fixed again. We're going to do it 490 times if we have to, because God is for restoration, god is for restoration romans 12 says if it is possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone and then luke 6 says but i tell you hear me love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you pray for those who mistreat you you know i'm blessed and i've got good family but some of you people got some rascals. Some of you people have some people that you feel like you fall right there. My enemy is my family. My enemy is my wife's family. I'm married into enemies. Or whatever it was. But you look up and you feel like, man, they attack you. They're persecuting you. They wrongfully treat you. Well, that's, what do we do? How do we respond to that? We bless them. We pray for them. We seek restoration. Why? Because God is faithful to do it. See, as we grow in knowing all that God provides for us in Jesus, then we can choose to simply trust him with those we love and live the life that is truly, truly life. Now this morning, we want to make sure everybody has opportunity to come into the family of God see God is rapidly expanding his family he wants sons and daughters they're being the decisions are being made all over the world this morning 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 the, world this morning. the, world this morning. the wor-